This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Just to give you a kind of a layout of what we plan to do today, I mean, I'm just going to give a little bit of feedback on what we've been up to recently and also some key things that have been happening recently. And then all of the people who head up our working groups, which are organised around a lot of the motions that you voted on in the summer, will spend about five minutes each kind of updating you on what's going on there. And uh, including, actually, I should say, Tim's going to speak about an initiative that he's been working on uh, with the Premier, other Premier League trusts and the FSF, which is very interesting, on kickoff times. Uh, thereafter, we'll open it up to the floor. So if you've got any questions on any of those issues that you want to raise with any of us, then that's your slot to do that. And I hopefully I'll have about 15, 20 minutes for that. And then after that, we've got, I'm delighted to say, we've got our special guest tonight, which is Charles Rose, for, who's the chairman of the Chelsea Pitch Owners, of course. And Charles is uh, very kindly agreed to come along to answer any questions that you might have on the current state of the CPO, which I'm, I'm personally going to be very interested in hearing. So thank you to Charles. Right, as I said, I just want to have a quick update on uh, where we are with a few things. I mean, obviously, uh, the most recent news that we've had has been the, uh, the, you know, the Stamford Bridge redevelopment being given the green light by the Hammersmith and Fulham Council Planning Office, which, of course, everybody here, I'm sure, absolutely welcomes. Uh, from our point of view, uh, I think it means, as a trust, the work really starts now because the next thing on the horizon will be the temporary stadium. Uh, now, that, interestingly enough, is kind of conjoined with this very small document, he says jokingly, 30 pages of it. This is the membership survey, the thing that you fill in for us every year, which, first of all, I should really apologise profusely for the delay in getting this out. You'll all be getting it, hopefully, by the time I get home tomorrow night. I'll email it out to everybody. Uh, but we've had some massive issues with it, uh, not least, as you probably know, if you've read the, the newsletter that Celia... Mendelssohn uh, resigned for personal reasons in about October, November. Thankfully, Ramsey Shamas uh, came to the rescue, and he's worked incredibly hard to put this together. And I, I have to say, it's as good as any of the surveys that we've done. And as I said, you'll be getting that. But the interesting thing about that is that there is a section on the temporary stadium, and your views on that are both very interesting, and more to the point, are fundamentally what we'll be taking to the club in the next two or three weeks when we meet with them to discuss not just the survey as a whole, but particularly that and any other supporter issues that uh, have come up in the last few months. So we're going to look forward to that and hopefully be meeting Bruce Buck and a few of the others to go through that. 
Uh, other things that are going on at the moment, um, you may have also noticed, as well as the survey not appearing, that you've had few emails recently, and the payments procedure via the website has been, uh, shall I say, impenetrable. Uh, Thankfully, thankfully, Debs, who needs a massive hug, and please bu buy her as many drinks as you can, because she has worked incredibly hard over the last couple of months to try and sort out all of the uh, payment procurement systems. So basically, when you go online to the website and you try and sign up and pay, she's tried to sort that out. I mean, basically, there was a glitch between our website and the in-touch uh, database system that we use uh, c through Supporters Direct. Anyway, Debs has done a great job of sorting that out. So basically from now on, it should be as easy as it ever was to sign up and join or renew, okay? And it also means that I can now get on with emailing people directly rather than having to rely on their system, which helps. Uh, and on that point, uh, in terms of membership, uh, we're, 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 I say we, uh, me, Richard Weeks, and Dan Silver, amongst others, are working quite hard in, in kind of revisiting... Uh, how we, you know, get out and engage with you, and more to the point, how we recruit and sign up new members. Because at the end of the day, uh, this uh, trust works if, you know, the more people that we have who are members. Uh, so we're looking at ways that where we can get out to you more, market it better, you know, maybe do some advertising, that kind of thing, and really try and grow the membership. Because I think, you know, clearly over the next three or four years, with the uh, the temporary move to uh, the temporary move to another stadium, and then coming back, there's going to be a lot of very very big issues and concerns that I'm no doubt that you'll you'll all have. So, the more we are, the stronger we are, the more effective we can be in getting your voice heard. So we're doing a lot of work on trying to figure out how we do that more effectively. So I think I've probably waffled on for more than long enough. Uh, so I'm going to hand you over to Cliff, who's going to talk a little bit about supporters' issues, and then Tim, who's going to talk about his kickoff times initiative. Cliff. If you want to, Tim, you, you need to do what you normally do, but better. Better. <laughs> Talking to the mic as opposed to at the mic. Okay, I'll, I'll keep this, this fairly brief. I mean, previous surveys have always highlighted the issues around TV games, rearranged fixtures, um, having to and midweek games as well, having to travel to Sunderland on a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night, Burnley away on a Monday night, all these sorts of things. And we've moaned about it for years. And... Other trusts have moaned about it as well. So a few of us got together with people from the Spurs Trust, Arsenal, Man United, Liverpool, what have you, and decided we had to do something because otherwise it would just carry on and carry on and people moan. And everyone blames the Premier League or Sky or the police, but no one's quite sure actually who's accountable. So we set up a working group. And this sort of came out of a meeting that each, each of the trusts had with um, the Premier League, including Richard Scudamore, in, in July, where we got an hour with Scudamore, and we only got 10 minutes on this, and I, I sort of presented on it, and I said, it'd be good to set up a working group on this, Richard. And he said, there will be no working group. And that was the end of the subject, as far as he was concerned, but I'll come back to that in a bit. So what we did do, we set up a meeting with Sky. Now, Sky, it's very easy to criticise Sky, because obviously they pay a lot of money, so they do have an impact on, on the scheduling. What they didn't realise until we met them was that the impact that having games, at particularly at 4 o'clock on Sundays or Friday nights or Monday nights, has on away supporters. It never seemed to have occurred to them that people can't get home on public transport. <laughs> they do understand that now, and we had quite a productive meeting with them. This was in November, and the notes of the meeting got sent to the, the chief executive, Sky, who's Barney, somebody or other, so they, they did, it did sort of permeate through the organisation. 
But what became clear as well is it's not just Sky and BT that are the problem. The, the Premier League are the people who come up with the fixture list in the first place. It is the Premier League that came up with the midweek fixtures in December where there was no return trip for away fans of less than 280 miles and not one away fan could get back that evening on public transport. Sky actually took the flack for that in the, in the press, but it is actually, it's clearly a Premier League issue. So we have been trying to get in front of the, the Premier League. Now, there is another meeting with Scudamore, but to be honest, that's so high level and there's so many issues to cover in an hour that we're, we're still working away trying to get in with them. But what we did do was we produced a report. We did a series of analyses. We, we looked at every distance between every Premier League ground. We looked at every displaced fixture this season for TV or Europe, and all the ones in red are the ones where fans cannot get home afterwards. Uh, this report will be published in due course, but we need to talk to the, the Premier League about it. We then looked at midweek games. All the ones in red, and there's plenty of them, are ones where away fans cannot get home by public transport. We also looked at Christmas, because I don't know if you saw, but next Christmas there are seven or eight games between the 25th of November and the 6th of January. Uh, in fact, there's, not, sorry, there's nine games that used to be seven, and they've made nine. And this is supposedly because of the World Cup, but last time I looked, the World Cup had been held since 1930. So I don't know why suddenly in 2017 it becomes an issue. The, that's not Sky, that is the Premier League. We want to talk to them about that, because clearly there's going to be an impact. At times when travel is difficult, there's going to be an impact on away supporters, in fact, on home supporters as well, affording it and, and, getting, and getting to games. So we did that work. We looked at every Christmas and New Year fixture for the last five years. And again, the ones in red are where people can't get back. Um, and we also looked, we did this, for, well, the lady from Spurs did this for Tottenham. Every game, every match they've had in the last five years that's been moved for TV. I mean, Chelsea... Only 30% of Chelsea's games kick off, in the last four years have kicked off at three o'clock on a, a Saturday. I mean, today is, is indeed an exception. So we, we've done all that work. We put that in front of Sky this week, and they went, ooh. You know. they, they obviously think that, that the supporters' groups are ranters, and they were quite surprised to see the sort of level of work that we've done. What we need to do now is to get that in front of the Premier League. They were supposed to come with a meeting with Sky and pulled out at the last minute. They're, they are clearly trying to avoid meeting us until it's too late to impact on next season's fixture list. But if they, if they keep avoiding us, it's, a, it's fair to say that there are journalists that are very interested in this. So, Tim, on, on, on that point, uh, I mean, I know the board have all had the benefit of seeing your fantastic yeah. report. Um, would it be able for us to publish it on the website, perhaps? It, it will go on the website... But we need to. We want to discuss it with the Premier League to get their so view. Not, not until they've not seen until it. Then. All right. And to be honest, if they haven't set up a meeting in the next couple of weeks, we're going to go public with it anyway. Right. And it will go on the website. There's there's a lot of analysis there, and I've, all I've done is is is, is try to give a flavour. But clearly, we we can't have a situation. We can't go on and mm. on with this. I think BT Sport have been a bit reluctant to meet us as well. But I think this the thing about the report is you can't argue with the data. Sky didn't argue with any of the data. It's really about, about what happens next. What we're also going to do is a set of key performance indicators around, particularly around the, you know, the, the, the announcement, supposedly on Monday, the April fixtures are being announced. I'm already told it's going to be Tuesday, and that was, that's from the Premier League. So, you know, sorry, from, that was from Sky. Um, 
it's been late. I think every game, every announcement last season was late, and every announcement except one this season has been late. So we're going to monitor that and publish that. And we're also going to monitor where, where games are rearranged. You know, the, the stupidi stupidity of having London derbies on a Saturday lunchtime and Burnley against Watford on a Monday night. It doesn't, it, it's, it's counterintuitive. So they are aware that, that, that these are issues. It astonished me that Sky didn't seem to realise this, but they do now. We're not going to change the world overnight, but I think, you know, and I, I pay credit, I know this probably won't be very popular with some, but the work that the Spurs Supporters Trust have done on this as well has been, has been first class. So it, we, we'll see where we go, but there will be key performance indicators. The report will be published. I would express, expect press coverage on it. And after we've met the Premier League, hopefully we'll be able to come back and say that they've actually made, made some concessions. But we'll see. But it is, what is good is that it shows that working together with other trusts, the joy of the Supporters Trust, as far as I'm concerned, one of the joys of it, is that we're not in isolation. There are specific Chelsea issues around the stadium and what have you, but there are also issues that are pan-Premier League. There's no point in us campaigning on their own. You have to work with other groups, and that's what we've been doing. So we'll see where we go, and I'm happy to, re to report back in, in future newsletters and meetings. But Excellent. Yep. Yeah, well, I think thanks very much, Tim, for that. Thank you. <laughs> Quite right. Cliff, have you got anything to add on supporters' issues? Uh, yes, just to add to that, as, as Tim's alluded to, we do work with other supporters' trusts and we are um, always in contact also with supporters' direct who oversee the trust movements and the Football Supporters' Federation. Um, unfortunately, from time to time, a lot of what they, what they do doesn't always stack up to what we want them to do. And, th and Supporters Direct might be powerful in what they do one year and the FSF the following year. So it's, it's getting to, to the stage, and I'm sure Tim will back me up on this, that we get f quite frustrated with, with the organisations there. And, and from an ideal perspective, it would be good if there was just one supporters organisation overseeing all supporters groups in this country and hopefully it will come to that in the future um, but as Tim has said also we, you know working working with other groups and, and the Football Supporters Federation Supporters Direct has directly led to the the ticket prices for away fans down to 30 quid this year from the 20 is plenty campaign okay it didn't quite get down to 20 quid but it got down to 30 quid and 30 quid is a lot better than 64 quid that we were playing paying at Arsenal last season um, with that in mind, I don't think it's uh, presumptuous to, to announce that um, we've got an initiative going for, for the away games in April with Virgin Media. Uh, this is through the FSF. Um, I don't know if you, any of you are aware, but at Southampton, uh, um, Virgin Media sponsor the away tickets for away fans going to Southampton. They, they, they knock off a tenner directly through Virgin Media, so it's only 20 quid to go to see Southampton v Chelsea, Southampton v Man United or whatever. Um, in, in April, the, the initiative is that uh, Virgin Media will again sponsor two weekends of away games, so every team in the Premier League will be covered. It will affect our match, I think, at Man United, Old Trafford. They're going to sponsor it for a tenner off, so it'd be 20 quid to go to Old Trafford. But that's not been officially announced yet, so... You're all a bit in the know on that one. <laughs> Exclusive from Cliff Hogger, whatever next. <laughs> yeah, and just uh, just one other thing from me. Um, uh, as you're all probably aware, there was a, a lot of shenanigans at, uh, with the West Ham tickets in the League Cup this year. Um, 
we, we didn't in, uh, get the entire allocation that we were due to, uh, uh, to us. In the League Cup, it's now 10%. It used to be 15% of the capacity, but West Ham whinged and cried about it, and they, 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 they couldn't give us the amount that we, we, were, we, due, we were due because of se segregation issues over there. But to be fair to Chelsea, they went back at them every time, tried to get as many tickets as possible. And the recent game at Wolves last, last week, they originally came out with an allocation of just on 4,000 for us when we were due 4,750. And we went straight back to the club and the club went straight back to Wolves and we got four, six, fifty in the end. So, you know, it's, it's, it's not great amounts, but it's amounts that get more Chelsea supporters in ground. And I, and I think it's something that, that the trust is uh, very hot on. Um, that we do get our full allocations for grounds, especially in FA Cup and League Cup games. Um, but that's about all from me on that. Thanks, mate. Uh, DJ, you're up next. Uh, I'm um, liaising on behalf of um, Chelsea Sports Trust um, in regard to uh, the new stadium. I had a meeting with the... Um, project director this morning and uh, it was a very good meeting. I've seen some images that um, show the view of the pitch in the new stadium from um, the seats. Anybody here start, uh, sit in the um, lower tier at the back of the Matthew? Go on, lads. You know what the view's like. Yeah, it's... you. Yeah, you can't. You you have to stoop down. Well, in every seat in the new ground, from the back, you can see the whole pitch. It's absolutely fantastic. You can see the sky. You can see the sky. Yeah, and um, that yeah. um, it, as with anything um, on this scale. Uh, Problems are never too far away, but hopefully they uh, Chelsea will overcome them. One of the major issues is trying to persuade everybody who's at Stamford Bridge today to come with the club to Wembley. It looks like Wembley. Anyway, I'd say it's 90% positive it's going to be Wembley. Hopefully they're, they're looking at um, one or two other options. I don't I'm positive it's not going to be Stratford, although travelling from Fulham Broadway, Stratford and Wembley have the same journey time, about 40, 45 minutes, which is quite surprising. Stratford's probably a better, issue, a better option than Wembley in as much as the facilities are better, believe it or not. Wembley's, um, I know, like, we go there every... Um, every now and again to lift an FA Cup or a League Cup. And that's great, but, you know, we'll soon get fed up of it because it's a bit of a dump. Apologies to anyone who lives up there. But, um... <laughs> um <laughs> nothing personal. No wonder you spend all your time down here. Uh, um, that, you know, a, a lot of people... Or I've heard quite a few people saying, oh, I'm going to have three years off, pick my season, you know, leave it for three years and renew my season ticket when we move back to Stamford Bridge. The point is, 
nobody at the club wants you to do that. You know, wherever we go, we'll follow our team, and uh, they're gonna. There's gonna be some very big amounts of finance put in to try and encourage people to make the journey to Wembley if that's where we go and then bring us back. The whole point is we want to leave as one and come back as one and the um, I think the uh, catchphrase is going to be leave no fan behind. The new stadium's going to be absolutely fantastic. They've thought of every everything um, with the um, can't remember his name now, Cliff. That new guy who took over from Christian Perslow. Yeah, Chris Townsend. Um, it has been suggested by um, one of the brains of the organisation, um, Cliff Auger, that um, we tap him up about um, the Oyster Card system for the um, tickets rather than them issuing us paper tickets, just whack them on your season ticket through a computer. But he's not going to have anything to do with that, even though he was connected with Transport for London. came in, oversaw the introduction of the Oyster card in Transport for London. He was, he was the man who was responsible for rolling it all out, so it kind of made sense if we could get the same sort of system down at Stamford Bridge. But I think stuff like that is going to be covered, actually. Um, I've been aware of this um, project for about, um, well, since nearly five and a half years now. And uh, it just gets better and better and better. Chelsea is sending people around the world. It's not that, you know, don't get me wrong. Pe these people aren't on jollies, but they're actually got... They've Last week, there was a guy sent to Turkey. Um, Besiktas moved stadium. And they went to um, pick up some tips on how they did that. Um, apparently, um, Besiktas moved 200 miles out of um, Istanbul, which we don't want Chelsea to do. But they, um, they moved to a stadium where they were getting about six or 7,000 every game, and they banged it out to a 40,000 capacity stadium. Their supporters, absolutely fantastic, organised seven-hour road trips from Istanbul to go and watch their side. The um, club gave them all um, season tickets and um, they really looked after them. I don't think Chelsea are going to you know, go to that extreme. But um, uh, I'm lobbying them and um, the project director is lobbying them to... Um, try and um, encourage a, a subsidised rate for um, home, home league games, which, you know, it, which will be put into place in part to discourage people taking a sabbatical. And I, I'm of the opinion, and I, you know, I hope I don't upset anybody here, but I'm of the opinion that if you give your season ticket up, you, it's only fair that you go to the back of the queue because there's loads of members queuing up for them and, you know, why shouldn't they have the chance to get get a season ticket if they give them up? The good thing about the new stadium is it'll be a bigger capacity. There'll be another um, 5,000 season tickets 
in there. We've got 25,000 at the moment. It will go up to 30. We all know there's going to be um, a lot more corporates there, but they won't affect um, the oiks like us. And uh, hopefully their money will um, see us not having to suffer a price increase. So if we're paying £750, as I do for my Lower Matthew season ticket, when we come back, it will still be £750. Or eight hundred and fifty, if you, you know, if you're in the upper tier. Um, somebody's making um, cutthroat signs at me to my left, so I think I've had um, my time's up. Um, any questions about it? See me afterwards. Thank you. Right, uh, next up we've got Richard Weeks to uh, tell us a little bit about what's been happening with the Atmosphere Working Group. I won't go on as long as Dave, don't worry. Um, <coughs> just quickly, I mean, really, Dave and I... Um, <coughs> sorry, my throat went... I was, singing too, I was singing too much, too much atmosphere in the shed. <coughs> no. <laughs> um, yeah, Dave and I sort of meet with the club um, on a semi-regular basis regarding... Um, a variety of things. I mean, obviously, how do you define atmosphere? How do you improve it, I suppose? But, um, I mean, there are a number of things uh, about getting people more involved, um, uh, about sort of little bits about redeveloping parts of the ground to make it more personal. I don't know whether I can say too much on that right now. Are you going to know? <laughs> well, I mean, for example, um, potentially uh, the space at the back of the shed end. Um, there's... Sorry, my throat's hurting. Sorry, I apologise. <coughs> Um, at the back of the shed end, um, shed, sorry, at the back of the shed upper, <laughs> um, there's like a blank wall, as you may know. Um, so we're in discussions about potentially making that sort of slightly more personalised and putting some imagery uh, up of sort of Chelsea legends and stuff rather than having just brick, basically. Um, that's just a small part of, of what we do. But we talk a lot with the club. Um, for example, a recent meeting we had, um, we we asked the club to when they decide to do these sort of uh, displays that aren't necessarily uh, part of fan groups, we ask them to sort of liaise with um, supporters and, and things like that. And the, and the club have come to us, for example, the, the Frank Lampard banner you saw today on the pitch, um, they actually pretty much came to us and, and asked, uh, asked the supporters group if they would like to do it. Um, so it's not like their marketing team are just now churning out random sort of things that they think Chelsea supporters want. Um, they are actually asking Chelsea supporters' opinion. Not necessarily just the supporters' trust, but it's a it's a good step. We had a meeting with Buck, um, Dave and I, and uh, and he took that on board. He t I guess he hadn't even thought about it to actually ask us what we wanted. Um, <laughs> uh, but, I mean, moving forward, I mean, obviously, moving to a new stadium is, is very important. It's a, it's a little bit far away at the moment in terms of what we can do to really improve the atmosphere. <laughs> but... Um, but I mean, it is it is on our on our um, sort of in our peripheral vision about how we can engage supporters when we move stadium, uh, pull in people that are perhaps sort of stuck in the West Lower and they don't want to be and they want to get behind the goal and make some noise. But um, the main thing, I suppose, um, at the moment, I would encourage pretty much anybody who even has a very very even tiny interest in or an idea that even if you think it's stupid, <laughs> a stupid idea to email. Uh, either the trust or myself personally or Dave, 
um, and just get involved in the conversation because um, the atmosphere is not going to improve unless people actually physically get involved in doing it. Um, I know it seems like you may only be able to even just offer one idea or even half an idea. It might sound stupid, but we need as many people as possible to basically join the conversation. The more people we have with more ideas, the more we'll be able to go to the club and say, 30 people have, have come up with this idea. You know, I don't know what it is, but you know, and uh, we want to do it or we want to do this. So I would encourage anybody who has even a slight interest in, in improving the atmosphere just to email Email me just saying I'm interested and, and I will keep you in the loop and I will email you. I'll tell you what's going on with various supporters groups that aren't necessarily the supporters trust. Um, and we can just get a group of people who are genuinely interested in atmosphere specifically to try and uh, sort of you know, move forward. And of course, you know, moving into a new stadium, um, you know, we're going to need all the ideas we can get really and everyone involved as possible. Uh, I don't think I have anything else to add. Dave, do you have anything you want to add specifically? You look like you do. I'd say that's a no, especially as there's only 10 minutes left to get through the rest of it. He's covered it, mate. Um, following on from what Richard said, if anyone's got any suggestions, have a look on the website. We've all got emails and um, email addresses and uh, you can um, bombard us with your ideas. And if you want to we haven't got that much time tonight, Clint, so um, if you'd like to discuss further, email us and we're happy to meet you at any time. Yeah, I mean, we will have 10 minutes, hopefully, if we can get through the next couple of things in the next 10 minutes, there'll be about 10, 15 minutes for some questions. But, I mean, a few of us will be around for a drink afterwards, Clint, if you want to have a chat. Yeah? Right. Um, I mean, Cliff, we mentioned a little bit about affiliations with the, trust, uh, with the Premier League trusts and the FSF and the SD before, mm. but... Um, the one thing I would just, uh, I, don't, I don't know you want to move on, but um, w w do you know what the latest is with the, the safety advisory group, which is obviously kind of comes within that remit? No, um, for those of you who are unaware, there's a safety advisory group uh, from the local council that, that looks after and oversees all football stadiums. So obviously our one is Hammersmith and Fulham, but with an input from Kensington and Chelsea as well, because obviously we're not far from them. Very, very few supporters' organisations have an input into any of the SAG group working groups, which is out of order, race, basically, because they have, they have the police there, the ambulance service, the fire service, the, the football clubs, uh, the local community, Uncle Tom Copley and all, basically, bar the people that actually sit in the stadium and, and support the football teams. So we've had an input when, when, when both through Tim and myself uh, over, the, over the years where, where we can put items on the agenda of their meetings, but we're not actually in the meetings themselves yet. I think Crystal Palace may have got a foot in the door. I think Tottenham may have got a foot in the door at their, meet their meetings, but as of yet, we're not in there. And I think it just, it, it's just stupid that, that we're the people that go in the stadiums every week and we don't get a say into what's going on in them. Um, but just moving on from from the affiliations, if I can go on to the community stuff that I'm going that I'm down for as well. As you as you all may be aware, we're doing some work over Brompton Cemetery over the last year or so, where we've been tidying up the Chelsea related graves over there. Some of which have uh, got in quite bad disrepair and o overgrown. Um, maybe some of you are not aware there are there are four or five founding fathers of Chelsea Football Club buried in Brompton Cemetery. There's uh, the big grave down the main avenue. Uh, 
for the Mears family, which which you probably are aware of, but further back in certain areas, there were three or, other, three or four other directors who were about when Chelsea Football Club were formed. So we feel a little bit of a duty to try and sort of look after their graves, if you like, and, and see that they kept in good order. So we've been doing that for the last uh, year or so, and we were hoping to sort of make a, a bit of a show of it for Founders Day, we, as we named it on the... Um, when is it? 19th of no, no, 10th of March. 10th of March, sorry. <laughs> Again, the 19th of May and the 10th of March. Confused, sorry. So the 10th of March every year, but um, it, it, it's gone against us fixture-wise. We were due to play Watford that weekend, then they moved the Watford game to the Monday night, and now it's Man United on the Monday night, so there's not much we can do prior to that game. So we thought we'd just make a, a, a gesture this year of maybe laying a wreath at the Mears Memorial over there with a view to hopefully next year we can do something a bit better. We do this in conjunction with Rick Glanville, obviously the Chelsea historian, and he, sa he, he said that he would do uh, a couple of guided tours of the, of the people's cemeteries over there with a bit of history about them and, and what's involved, uh, you know, what they did in, in helping to found Chelsea Football Club. So hopefully we can do that next year. But Rick has recently found uh, an unmarked grave over there of a, of a Chelsea stalwart back in the 30s and 20s, Jack Whitley. He came to Chelsea Football Club quite early on in our history as a goalkeeper, and he served at the club as a goalkeeper for 10 or so years. Then he moved to the backroom staff, becoming a physio, um, a secretary, and he, and he was here for the best part of 30 or 40 years. He then moved away and... Uh, he, he died eventually in Tring in Hertfordshire, I think it was, in 1955, just after we won the championship for the first time. And his dying wish was that he was buried at Brompton Cemetery to be near to Stamford Bridge, his, his spiritual home. And as I say, Rick has only just re, re, um, uncovered all this quite recently. And we, we've, we found the plot that where he's buried, and it's just a, a piece of earth. Uh, we've tidied it up as best we can. But within the next few years, a uh, few weeks, we're going to launch a crowdfunding scheme to get a head, proper headstone or, or some sort of um, memorial for, for Jack Whitley supplied by, by the fans. And I think it's just a, a really nice fitting gesture that he gave up his, a lot of his life to Chelsea Football Club and wished to be buried there. So, <coughs> so as I say, you know, we're doing it in conjunction with Rick. So he's going to do some history of, of Jack Whitley and it's going to be out there in the next couple of weeks. And I, I think... It's going to cost the thick end of about five grand to get to A, to buy the site or, or, or to, uh, with what Brompton Cemetery and then to, to lay the stone there. But all the details will be out soon, so look out for that and hopefully you know, we can get there and get it up and done for, for the 10th of March next year. I've got an exclusive there because I spoke to Rick actually earlier on before the game and um, he's thinking that it might be he might try with uh, Cliff's help to, to launch the crowdfunding campaign on what would effectively be the Founders Weekend. Uh, but he's also thinking that uh, he might try and do it with the Jack Whitley idea in September because apparently that would be the 100th anniversary of his first appearance for the club. In, I think September the 23rd, uh, 1907 was his first appearance. So 110 years. I'm not very good at maths, as we all know. But anyway, the bottom line is it's an anniversary that relates to Jack Whitley, so that would be quite appropriate. Yeah, sounds good. Um, yeah, do you just want to talk a little bit about our idea about trying to get out into the community with the pubs and restaurants and things? Oh, right, yeah. Um, we, we've struck up quite a good relationship with several of the pubs in the area. This has been the latest. I mean, I, I haven't been 
I haven't been to the Lily since it's been revamped. I certainly haven't been up here. It's quite nice, and they've let us use the room for nothing. They've opened the bar and everything for us. But obviously, pubs like this are going to lose a hell of a lot of trade when we move away for three years. So we want to go to them and see what we can, what they can do for us, for Chelsea fans, and what we can do for them, both while we're still here for the next year or two and when we move away. Now, I don't know if you're all aware, you can get a train from West Brompton directly to Wembley Central. So in effect, people could still drink in this area, jump on the train and go to Wembley. A, it helps support the pubs that are in this area and B, hopefully it keeps them open for when we're back because conceivably we could come back to, to in three years time to a lovely or five years time whenever to a lovely shiny new stadium with no pubs they're all shut down because they've lost a lot of trade I don't know yeah so we, we're going to work in, in the next X amount of months or years and hopefully build up a relationship with the local businesses not just pubs I mean there's restaurants it affects as well even even the local news agents will be losing business so you know A see what we can do to help them and B what they can do to help us as Chelsea fans maybe they're willing to do a cheap deal for people who come here when we're not here but a meal deal whatever so you know hopefully we can get that off the ground in the next few months Excellent. Thanks, mate. Um, I'm, as you can imagine, a big fan of doing anything we can to help the local pubs. You scratch my back. I do. I do. I, personally, I make a huge contribution, as we all know. Um, right, the last uh, item on the agenda from the working groups is on the overseas bit. And whilst I appreciate that there are, I, I would hazard a guess there's nobody technically from overseas here at the meeting, they are a very important part of our membership and a significant part, too. And uh, Dan Silver looks after their interests on the board. He's uh, actually doing his own bit of overseasness at the moment because apparently he's in Hawaii. I've been reliably informed. Uh, presumably working hard on behalf of the trust, I hasten to add. Um, Not getting any expenses. No. Yeah. Can you note that, Mr. Treasurer? No expenses for Dan on, uh, if they got Hawaii on there. Um, he, uh, over the last few weeks, has actually done a, a, a survey. Uh, he's got out there and pretty much talked to every... Uh, o- official overseas supporters group uh, across the world. Um, you'll not be surprised to hear that the Americans are the most responsive to this. Um, they tend to be the people that we personally see most when they're over here, and many of them have become really good friends. Uh, and he's in the process of collating this, but you'll not be surprised to hear that their issues are, in some respects, quite unique to them. But actually, interestingly enough, it crosses over into a lot of issues we have. So, for example, Tim, they are equally not happy about... Uh, late changes in fixtures uh, from Sky and BT because of actually for them it's even worse because quite often they've had to plan a flight and accommodation, mu- you know, weeks if not, m- and holiday, only to find that they've flown over here to find that there's no game. You know, so it's a big issue for them too. Um, they're very uh, irate about the lack of kind of membership benefits that they receive. I think the club's taken a few of those away and they're not happy about that. Um, Though, of course, you know, the cards are stacked against them with things like accumulating loyalty points, so that's uppermost in their mind. Um, and really, you know, access to tickets, which, let's be frank, is, is a common uh, gripe of many people who aren't lucky enough to be seasoned ticket holders like a lot of us are. Anyway, the bottom line is Dan's working hard on that, and he's going to issue some sort of report. But we feel that, again, you know, just generally increasing our membership in, with individuals, you know, our position is a lot stronger, particularly with the club, if we've managed to... Uh, you know, affiliate and, and, and do good work on behalf of a lot of the overseas individual members, but also, more importantly, the overseas supporters club. Something that Chris, who I can see sat here, would no doubt agree with. Yep. 
All right. I think that's an, about as much as we need to say on the formal part of the meeting, apart from hello, hello, Pete. <laughs> nice to see you. And Liz. Oh, and Liz. Liz. Yeah. Oh, dear. All right, anyway, that's the formal bit over. Thank you, Tim, who I know is going to leap off. Um, we've got, I reckon, about 10, 15 minutes max. Uh, if any of you have got any questions from the floor, and, I mean, don't just address them to me. I mean, they could, if they're specific to any of our working group heads, then pl- by all means, ask them of them. I mean, on, on that point, actually, there's a couple of questions that got, got emailed in uh, really uh, I think that they were they were meant to be for Charles, but frankly, they don't really come under the CPO's remit, so I'll save you from that. But they do come under the uh, the redevelopment and atmosphere. So if you don't mind, um, I mean, I don't know how many of you got questions, but I can give you a minute or two to think of something. But if I can deal with these first, but I got one from Michael, uh, and this is really uh, for Richard. But he says, "Is that are there going to uh, are there going to be changes made?" Uh, when they can bring, well, I think basically improve atmosphere into the ground, and I think actually he means the new one. And I think uh, the answer to is that, that maybe better for Dave. Yeah, maybe actually thinking of it, development. Dave. Yeah, yeah. Is there anything specific you could say on what what we're going to try and do with the atmosphere in the new ground? Quickly. <laughs> well, one of the um, things they're going to try and do is encourage people. Um, they're going to offer everybody their. Um, the same seats. So if you've been sitting next to a group of people for the last 10 or 15 years, hopefully you'll be located with them again. There, it is something, trust me, the guy in charge of the guy, the, the, the main brain behind this ground is a superhuman human being. Cliff's met him. It's they, have, they are thinking of absolutely everything. Absolutely everything. You can ask them, a qu- yeah, we're thinking of that, we're working on it, and they w- they are going to do their best to absolutely improve everything. Now, a few years ago, um, Cliff inquired um, as to the possibility of um, installing a- acoustic-friendly tiles into the ground. We've t- asked them to move the away supporters to somewhere else where they're less um, vocal and... Um, in the new stadium, I'm sure the atmosphere will be absolutely better than it is at the moment. There you go. I've got another. I've got another question uh, that relates very much to your remit, and it's from uh, Olivia Ince, and she says, "Has any thought been put into the positioning of season ticket holders for our temporary stadium and return when Stamford Bridge has been redeveloped?" I've got two concerns that you won't get the opportunity to sit in similar areas to current season ticket seats. And those who normally sit together, such as the vocal Matthew Harding Lower, will not get the chance, i.e. what happened at West Ham. No, well, that's, um, we've, um, people at Chelsea have looked at what's happened at um, West Ham, and we're not going to allow that to happen at um, Stamford Bridge. So everybody, you know, if you're happy in your seat, you'll return to your seat. Personally, and this isn't by any means a policy but speaking personally I'd be happy if the um, 3,000 away supporters all got located in the same area Um, possibly at Wembley just to um, see if we can improve the atmosphere at home games because you know we everybody who goes away knows what's expected the atmosphere is absolutely fantastic at the away games then anybody who was at the Conti dinner the other night there's a couple here will um 
know that Antonio Conte is particularly pleased with the um, away supporters. He didn't exactly um, coat off the home supporters, but we all know if we go to the away games, our support is better when we're away than it is at home because everybody who, who knows what's expected is concentrated in one area. And that's my personal opinion. I'm not sure that that will happen, although I, I think it might be suggested for, for the three years at Wembley. But if you are in a particular seat at, where, at Stamford Bridge now, you will be offered exactly the same seat in the new Stamford Bridge. I'm standing like that so I don't have my photo taken. Don't infringe his image rights, please. So, um, yeah, Olivia, I hope that answers yeah, your okay, question. Mate, you might as well keep hold of that because we're going to open it up to the floor. Have we got, if there are any questions, Pete, hang on, but can you just wait and we'll get the mic to you? It's, the leads should be more than long enough. <laughs> got a ladder, Dave. Um, with, with regards to the uh, where, where we sit when we come back, I, I believe they said they were also going to um, allocate them in blocks. So people who are sitting together in the same area, there's going to be like, um, uh, I don't know whether they're going to do it in block A, block B, or how they're going to do it. Mm -hmm. But it won't be just individual seats that will be offered. They're going to say, right, we'll offer it to this block if they want to go back to where they were. I think you then have the option of whether you want to go in there, where you want to move. Which, yeah, which is a good thing. Yeah, I think so too. Thanks, Pete. Dave, do you, you any? As in the case of tickets, as in the way of away tickets, you know the um, I say problems. I'm very fortunate that I'm on the away season, on the away ticket scheme, so I don't encounter the problems that um, members have or occasional away supporters have, or even home supporters have. I'm a home season ticket holder, but as in every case you're never going to please all the people all the time it's an impossible job and you know whatever they do there's always going to be somebody who's unhappy but they are going to do their best to try and satisfy the majority of people and good luck to them okay uh, any other questions this uh, young man over there I'm, i may be a little behind the news but should it be Wembley, should we be going to Wembley, there was a, uh, the local authority allows so many events in a year and the capacity would have to be reduced right. to 50,000. There was, I did read recently that somebody had made an application to, to increase that number. Is there any news on that? Yeah, they have made an application and um, I'm sure that um, Brent Council taking their cut. Hello, Brent Council, if you're listening. And um, <laughs> the FA still struggling to um, cover the cost. I'm sure they'll accommodate um, some kind of increase because um, they need the money. And um, I'm sh I think um, Chelsea will be going for at least 70-odd thousand. Yeah, but don't forget that, that Wembley also hosts national uh, the American football concerts as well, so it could it could cover a few extra concerts as well. It's not necessarily, I don't think, specifically for football, because with all the best will in the world, would we sell 80,000 against Stoke on a Wednesday night? You know, <laughs> if it's a five or a time like it was at, for Tottenham the other night, then maybe yes, but uh, if it's 40 or 50 pound a, a time, maybe no. It's just something that um, 
I realise that um, <clears throat> we spoke about the Olympic Stadium or West Ham Stadium or Wembley. But um, I've got a friend of mine who's a Fulham season ticket holder and he's actually on the inside of what they're proposing to do at Craven Cottage. Has anybody done the maths, as in, i.e. Chelsea presenting proposition to Fulham that Chelsea maybe invest 60 or £80 million into Fulham to redevelop it while we're still playing at Stamford Bridge to take Craven Cottage up to 38, just under 40,000, which isn't that a lot while we can difference now. The work's done. Chelsea move in. Fulham's still playing as well. While this is being redeveloped, and then ultimately we move back. Now, the cost obviously would be Chelsea's. Fulham would benefit by an upgraded stadium with no outlay. Is that something that, I don't know if there's a CPO issue or whether this is feasible, but as I say, the guy I know very well is involved with Fulham Football Club and the, what they're proposing to do at the stadium. I can't say too much, but I think Chelsea probably um, might well have um, been in touch with Fulham. And uh, we know they're building a new stand there. But I've per- I'm, I believe, and uh, it also um, concurs with what I think, that um, although Chelsea didn't encounter too many problems with the new stadium at Stamford Bridge, they did encounter some but I am of the opinion, and I think Chelsea probably are too, that the people who live around Craven Cottage, they'd have some serious objections if they were going to have 40-odd thousand there, Clint. It's a great idea. No, well, Wembley's there. Wembley's there already. You know, I mean, it's there. No, they're going to go up to 30-odd 30 30 thousand. They're building a new stand, and... all this about the club uh, openly telling us that Stamford Bridge couldn't be redeveloped. There were a group of us that stood up and said, yes, it can actually. And we were dismissed and dismissed. Well, hey, presto, it can. And there is a, a, a possibility on our doorstep. And all I'm asking is, should we be looking at that possibility? And then it's dismissed, it's dismissed. As opposed to automatically going right over to Wembley that nobody really wants to do. It's just, just a suggestion to the floor, that's all. It is an excellent suggestion, but the Agreed. difference between Stamford Bridge and Craven Cottage is Stamford Bridge, fortunately for Chelsea Football Club, is on a main major thoroughfare. It, yeah, I mean, one might almost say it's an arterial route, and um, Craven Cottage is rather secluded compared to to um, Stamford Bridge, and that would be the um, that might be one of the major. Um, factors against it. Sorry. Whose decision is this? I mean, is it worth the Chelsea Supporters Trust or the CPO to put this to the club to approach Fulham? You know, if, uh, if someone comes along to Fulham Football Club and say, listen, we'll build you two new stands, uh, Fulham going to say, well, no. You know, those all the residents in around any football ground around the country, most of them, unless they relocate completely, bought their houses after yeah. the stadium was there. So they might look at it and say, okay, so they can't complain that, ooh, ooh it's going to be, you know, if, if, if Fulham have got to redevelop Craven Cottage, residents aren't going to be happy. It's going to happen anyway. I'm just wondering whether two things could be asked, whether we can put that to the club 
It mm. might be a, not feasible. And of course, you know, if you build a garden shed, somebody's going to complain about it. Yeah. Yeah, you know, so but, well, I, just a I, I, think I think it's a great idea, Clint. I'm sure the vast majority of Chelsea fans would go to Craven Cottage rather than going to Wembley or or, or the St- uh, Olympic Stadium, you know. But also, I think it's all very well building a couple of new stands at Fulham, as you say, and taking their capacity up to forty thousand, which would be great for us playing there. But would it be any good still for Fulham when we leave there? Would they be able to fill a forty thousand seat stadium? Yeah, true, true. Along with that, sorry, can I just add? Listen, Mr. Abramovich, with this new stadium, he's going to fork. He's going to fork. He is going to have forked out close on or just over a billion pounds. And fair play to you, Clint. It's great. It is a good suggestion, but it's it's very easy to spend other people's money. You know, and I, you know, yeah, you are, yeah. Well, I think, we'll, I think we'll the other, thing, the other thing is, Dave. The other thing is, Dave, that um, you're right. You know, it's easy to spend other people's money, but I think Clint's point is that we would be spending the same amount of money hiring Wembley. You know, and I, yeah, more in fact. Right, listen. What, what? I mean, just can, can I have a kind of a quick overview? Have you got lots of questions? Do you want to carry on the questions? Because I'm conscious that we've got Charles here, and I don't. Well, I know, I know. I saw Charles. I was going to say one more. Yeah, okay. One quick question, Charles. I was going well, to pick up on that point. Um, the fact that, from a practical perspective, uh, as Dave was just saying at the end, yes, you might be spending a billion pounds, but there is a difference between effectively hiring a cost. Look at what, what West Ham are doing at the Olympic, old, uh, well, London Stadium, whatever it's called these days, and what they are paying to use to, to use that relative to spending 50, 40, 50, 60, 70 million. One is a fixed cost from an accounting point of view, and one is a variable cost, and they would not be wanting to have that sort of money. I could imagine, like you may say, in the proportion of spending a billion pounds, but that is quite a significant uh, sum of money. Okay, thanks, Charles. Right, uh, enough. Chidge. JK, in all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there and it's not on TV. Oh, Chich, I'd be bereft. Inconsolable. The thought of missing my beloved Blue Boys live. <laughs> it's all too much. <laughs> I know, JK, I know. It's all a bit too much, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> well, panic not. NordVPN have come to the rescue. They have? Yep, NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. They do? Yeah, they do. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match and they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. Oh, wow. Great. Uh, But yeah, I bet that'll cost me a fortune. Actually, JK, it's only the price of a cup of coffee per month and you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain, JK. And best of all... No more tears for you. Oh, thank you. Thank you, NordVPN. I'm so happy. I could cry. <laughs> Where do I sign up, Jidge? Well, to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. 
The link is in the podcast episode description box. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Um, let's uh, move on to, if you like, the main attraction of this evening. Don't, I don't know if Charles has ever been described as the main attraction before, but uh, I'd like to welcome uh, Charles Rose. Uh, good evening. Thank you very much indeed for inviting me here this evening. Um, I think in essence uh, this is going to be a question and answer session rather than me uh, standing up here and telling you, uh, uh, giving you my, my great thoughts. You can probably read those in the next edition of uh, Dave's magazine anyway. All I will say is that um, it's now a month on from our AGM. So if you were at that meeting, uh, you would have heard us then talking about what uh, we were up to. Um, since that time, we have finally got through the Section 106 draft that we have been promised. For those of you who aren't aware about what that is, that is the document um, that is part of the planning process. That is the bit that uh, when you make an application, you have to pay into the community. If you were building a load of houses, you'd fund schools or roads or whatever it is. So you can imagine that uh, the local council also, uh, the, there's 11 schedules in there and they're funding everything from uh, the local pubs. They're funding uh, roads, they're funding transport, they're run funding e ecology, they're funding uh, local tickets, of course, for um, people who live in the borough. So all of those things are contained in the Section 106 agreement, and that is now with our lawyers. So um, I did have the pleasure, and I don't mean that, of reading the whole document on the train uh, coming here today, and it is full of legalese and uh, all the things you would have expected. So there we go. That is pretty much of an update. Um, but really what I'm here to do and what I'm interested in is hearing uh, your ideas and your comments about CPO. Um, we, we did, we've got, in fact, actually Paul's here, but Paul uh, did send in a question. Um, can, can, we, can we kick off with this, Charles, and then open it up to the floor? Just, shall I read it out rather than, uh, than, than uh, let you do that? So right. do. It's from Paul Hay, and Paul is, in fact, over there, and uh, I'm grateful to Paul for allowing me to read it on his behalf. He says, I'm hoping to... Well, there we go. You know he's here. Anyway, I know that there was an interest-free loan from the club to purchase the land, and the aim was for the shares to pay that back through sales. Given that the number of shares that have been sold since the start of the scheme has probably hit a critical mass, and most true supporters would have already bought theirs, one wonders if we need to sell any more. The initial amount of the loan, while significant at the time, is probably not that big in the scheme of things now, and this could be a good time to say to the club that as part of the negotiations regarding the lease, uh, they relinquished the balance of the loan. This would surely save a lot of cost and effort on, administ on administration for the CPO. Has this been thought of? Um, the short answer to that is yes. <laughs> We're thinking about all of the <laughs> Thank you very much. I'll sit down. Um, it's, 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 it's a huge question, and it goes absolutely to the nub of the discussions that we're having internally about how we're going to approach the club. Uh, the first thing to say is that we are still selling shares, I think, at a rate of about 500 a year. So I don't actually agree that we've reached that point at which everybody's got a share, nobody wants to buy any more, because 
one of the things about this club now is we have evolved to the stage whereby we have a worldwide support. We've heard about that tonight. There are plenty of people listening to here, uh, particularly in America. I'm getting an awful lot of share applications from America. I'm starting to notice them from India. Uh, there's an awful lot that go to Australia. I had one the other day from Switzerland. So they do go around the world, and they are also uh, going to the various parts of uh, people in this country as well. So um, I would say that we're still selling the shares. The question then is what happens to CPO as we go forward? And really, I don't have an answer to you on that fact. I don't have I, have, I have lots of ideas, but really I would like to hear what you've got to say about this. Um, do we actually ask for the loan to be written off? Do we ask for our administration expenses to be covered um, and not added onto the loan? At the moment, we have an agreement that, uh, that the expenses of Chelsea pitch owners uh, can be met by the club. But if that's the case, then that gets added onto the loan. So we could do that. We could ask for the loan to be written off. Um, part of me says, well, that could be dangerous. Because what happens in 10 years' time? If we have no loan and we have no administrative expenses, what is the point of Chelsea pitch owners? It then means that we don't have an imperative to do something. At the moment, we have an imperative not just to hold an annual general meeting, we have an imperative to raise money, so therefore we hold events, we hold dinners, we hold tournaments, we try and do things, and the, it's, it's getting that lifeblood through the company. Now, it's unlike any other company I've ever been involved with because it isn't, it is, the whole purpose of it is not to make as much profit as you can. So, really, I open it to you to say, what do you think about that? How do you think we ought to be approaching any negotiations that we've got coming up? Have you had any response on that suggestion of the 999-year lease of the club? Also, the frames that you do at £25 each are shocking. Um, <laughs> a bit of perspex and a two ninety nine job. Um, so you need to look at that. And also you can't buy a share without it being signed by a player unless it is framed. You don't do the share and a player signed only share, but not framed. It has to be framed. So that makes it 150 instead of a one -er. £100 a share, but you have, if you want it signed, it has to be framed, so it's 150 But I like getting them framed and putting my own, signed, but with the own frame on them, because yours is perspex. I often come through the post and I think, such like quality that, you know. Okay. And the other thing is the 909, I thought I read about at the AGM, about the 999-year suggestion of the lease which would kick in at a long grass regarding so that they could get then you can get further investment and what have you if there is a long term lease okay um, let me just years. let me just take uh, I'll t I'll take the frames and the, and the costs and the costs in a second uh, as far as i'm concerned every issue is 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 a live and proper issue um, the 999 year suggestion came in the press in an article um, that was written by Dan, Dan Levine. And um, it is widely been seen that that is what is going to be part of the negotiation. 
We will see. All we did at the AGM was that we gave us some room to extend the lease if we want. I don't know what that is. Uh, feedback coming into the system. Um, uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's a, okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. Let's carry on. Um, so we have the ability to extend the lease if we want to. We haven't entered that negotiation yet. And what I'm asking you for is ideas and what you think ought to be in that negotiation. I'm interested to hear that. Um, okay, I accept, actually, that some of your points on, on the framing is, uh, uh, has got some holding, holding some water on that, all right? So, so let me go away, and uh, I will actually you know, put that to the board, and we'll do some thinking about that. But what you also have to understand is that that's one of the ways we make money. And that ultimately is, you know, when you buy a £100 share, that doesn't go to covering our costs. That goes c to capital, and that goes £85 of every £100 share goes directly to Chelsea Football Club as part of the agreements that we already have. Thanks, Charles. Okay, anybody? Uh, Clint. Hi, that's Clint Steele again. Um, I'd just like to ask three questions, actually, in relation to the CPO. As you know, I'm a CPO member, and I was at the AGM. Uh, now, uh, talking about the share, the extending of the lease, yep. I just wondered, um, obviously it was um, the, the, the CPO members voted for that uh, lease to be extended. I just wonder if the CPO board have gone back to the club as yet, and if so, what was the club's response to it? Um, the can second, I, can I, can I, can yeah, I, should we just yeah. take it in, in yeah. slices? Short answer to that is no, we haven't because we've been awaiting the next step, which was the section 106. We've got that. So the process is now starting again. So we haven't been back to the club and we haven't had further, further discussions with them. Okay. Um, the other thing is, um, what concerns me a little bit, and I, I'm sure the CPO are aware of this. If, we move away from Stamford Bridge to Craven Cottage, hopefully. <laughs> um, will the CPO board ensure that a bond is raised by the club to the minute we leave Stamford Bridge, that if anything were to happen with the owner or his finances, and we don't want to move away from Stamford Bridge, something collapses and the financial markets collapse or whatever and Chelsea Football Club are left without a stadium ever to go back into. I just wonder if the CPO are aware and will be instruct, in, insistent that that has to happen prior to us leaving Stamford Bridge. Uh, okay. Um, I'm going to take that as a... I mean, yes, we're aware of this. Uh, this is a discussion point that has been had at the last annual general meeting and ones previous to that. So this isn't something that is come out of the clear blue sky at us, and we're aware about that particular fear. Okay, um, I'm not in a position because we haven't actually decided what we're going to, uh, how we're going to approach the negotiations that we have to have, as to what our stance is going to be and and what our red lines are in relation to that. But that is a very serious issue that you've raised and one that we're aware of. You wouldn't expect me to come here this, uh, this evening and actually tell you what our negotiation stance is going to be, but um, it is something that is very serious. I'm not going to... <laughs> only at weekends. Uh, what I... Uh, 
Thank you. You, you completely put me off my stride now. Um, which only goes to prove that I'm not. Uh, in essence, um, I think it is, a, it, is, it is a sound point. But I'm not going to say, yes, we're going to actually do that or we're going to do something else. Okay. Thirdly, um, some of us will remember that uh, not so long ago we had Drake's at Stamford Bridge, which was for season ticket holders. Um, now, I'm just uh, asking this question. When the ground is redeveloped, would it be in the CPO's interest to approach the club in developing a special bar area for CPO shareholders only? which would encourage uh, normal fans, season to get hold of all sorts of fans, to invest in a CPO share because ultimately it would give them access to this exclusive club within the Stamford Bridge new stadium. Just a thought. Um, yeah, again, that's, that's not something that, um, you know, that is something that has been raised before at annual general meetings. I think it is a sound idea. I actually would like to see other initiatives as well taken by supporters to go, okay, how can we stitch CPO shareholding into the DNA of Chelsea supporters. Because after all, you know, I'm issuing share number about 20,700, all right? So we sold that many shares, uh, take away the first 200, which we generally haven't sold. Um, but uh, so we've got that many shares in uh, circulation, all right? But that means that there's a whole load of people who were there this afternoon who are not CPO shareholders. And the question then is, how can we do initiatives around getting those people to become shareholders because you then actually have them for life. If I was running a business, I would love to think that the customers that I had today, and forgive me for using that word, I know that is highly emotive in terms of um, associating that word customers with supporters, particularly after 2011, um, how you could stitch them in to your organization. It would actually increase the value of your, of your company anyway. Because if you've got those people and you can say, look, they're not just Twitter followers, they're not just liking us on Facebook, they've actually got shares in something that is, is, is properly associated with this company. So, I, as I said, as I said, I think, I think, that, I think that, is a, that, is a, that is a properly good idea. Uh, I would hope that other people come up with other initiatives as well, not only just a bar area. But, I don't know, some because sort of... Because my, my guess would be that once we do move away, that it's going to be possibly harder to sell CPO shares. I agree with that. And, and I think that um, if there was the potential carrot to uh, encourage new people to buy CPO shares, shares on the basis of once you've got your brand new Shining Stadium, you will also have a special area because you're a CPO shareholder, which I think would be quite a good encouragement to stimulate shares. That's Thanks, Clint. I, I, as I say, I'm, I'm not dismissing that at all. In addition to a bar area, sorry, in addition to like a, a bar area exclusively for CPO shareholders, would it not be in the rebuilt stadium for CPO to have premises on site, office office as well? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not overly keen on having offices at Stamford Bridge, I'll be absolutely honest with you. 
Um, because once you do that, then uh, you, who, who exactly is going to man it? How they, how are we going to operate that? What, for what purpose would you have an office, and where would it be? You know, it's not like the old days, and in, in you know the initial time when we had that shop opposite the opposite the the old club shop, um, and it was more of a sort of club organ, uh, you know, sort of a, a drop-in place. I mean, it, it's it's it's. Uh, I I must admit, I'm not a big fan of that, but it's it's a valid idea. In Drake's, who will remember that obviously there was a bar which would generate money for the club, and also you could go and get some sort of a buffet or takeaway food, a lasagna or something like that, which would once again generate, um, you know, encourage cl- uh, fans to come to the ground early, which the club are always requesting. And it wouldn't be a sit down meal, but it would certainly be something, you know, what I'd have a pie and chips, or and so there are many benefits for the club as well as not only for CPO members. Which comes back to the point I made earlier about the club stitching CPO as part of the DNA of being a Chelsea supporter. Um, I think the importance of us as the ordinary fans is diminishing. You look at the percentages um, that were out this week in the uh, annual accounts of the club, and uh, by my calculation, we're now down to about 10%, the ordinary supporters. When you take, you know, the whole, the whole match day experience has come up to what? 20%, I think, 21% of the turnover of Chelsea Football Club is now down to the match day attendance. So the old days of having, uh, you know, the perfect third coming in through the gate, a third coming in through your commercial and a third coming in from television has been completely blown out of the water. And the match day uh, uh, figures are now at 21, 21%. Half of that is corporate. So that means that our influence is about sort of just over 10%. that make the match day experience for the TV, etc. I'm absolutely... This is my 40th year of supporting Chelsea, and we're, that's, we are the makeup of the, of the club, not the corporates or the TV or anything. Not arguing with that. Um, not, arguing with, not arguing with that at all. In fact, actually, um, you know, I've, I've written about that this month, and that's the very point <laughs> that you make. When you look at what's happened in um, Paris, for instance... They actually threw out their ultras, uh, and then they realised that they were missing something. They've got champagne bars, they've got DJ areas, they've got shoe shine bars, they've got a sky area where you can go and stand and watch the game from over and above the stadium. But what they didn't have was the atmosphere, so they had to bring them back and they had to negotiate with the fans. And that is something that they they did. Yeah. They and and they brought them back and they gave them gave, gave them good deals to do that. Can, can I just add to that point? It's going slightly away from CPO, I I apologise. Can can I just add to that? Because I think you make a great point, Lizzie. But here's the thing. Um, Whilst the club might sit there and say, well, there's only 10% of match match goes that are contributing to our revenue, so why should we care? You're right. It's us that makes the product what it is. So actually, it's not... The club may have that view, but ultimately, they're getting getting all of their income from the television companies. And the television companies are well aware that we are the people that make the product what it is. So I think it's actually beholden upon us, I mean, the, the trust, the supporters group, to put as much pressure on the TV companies as well as the club. And I, I don't know if you managed to make it while Tim was doing his report on kickoff times, but 
That is exactly what I'm talking about. Sorry, I just felt the need to clarify that. So you wanted to say something and then it's Charles. Right? Yeah, uh, just, <laughs> just another quick point um, on what Charles said about uh, Paris Saint-Germain. I'm all in favour of DJ areas. <laughs> um, regarding um, Clint's point about um, there being areas, part of the, um, and if you'll forgive the term, the match day experience in the uh, new stadium will include areas such as, you know, um, similar to those at uh, um, the Blue Camp, the Etihad, Manchester City Stadium, where, they, uh, where they've got um, an area set aside for with um, a bar, there's entertainment there, you can um, eat there, and uh, the area in the West Stand, uh, supporters attending Stanford Bridge are going to be encouraged to get there early and leave late. Now, whether CPO can have their own bar or not, okay, yeah, but you can, um, in the new stadium, you're going to be able to walk all the way around. You, you know, it's the away supporters are going to be separated and every you know you can walk you can do a 360 degree um walk round and um th that it is a it is a good thing you phrased Clint but they they thought of that no is you know if Charles wants to try and get us a bar it'd be fantastic um Linked to uh, Charles, linked linked to what you were saying about the value of, linked to what you were saying about the value of the CP CPO, one of the one of the dangers that is this happening with people, with say property development, say, in say in this area, but it's across the country, is that when people are giving uh, people 999 year leases, what effectively they are trying to do, is partly to do with property developers capturing money is to put in, so if you have a ground rent, and the ground rent effectively, is by putting upward-only ground rents and effectively doubling them, what it's having the effect of is, is completely destroy, destroying any, any value um, that, that has of it, let alone capturing the costs. So there may be some things of playing around with that concept to see how supporters who have CPO shares are tied into the fabric of it, whether it's whether it's within a bar, getting a discount on their season tickets, or things like that, because that is something that we could in, would encourage people to participate in buying in buying CPO shares. In the same way that I, I su suspect that a lot of people who have been going for many many years to the club, even including myself, who don't actually have CPO shares. I want to was going to have a conversation with you about it afterwards, but but there are there will be hundreds of pe thousands of people who 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 would have been going twenty who probably season ticket holders fifteen twenty years because they might not have been been going to the club at the point that the biggest issues were at that particular point in time. Okay, thank you. Charles, just a quick uh, couple of questions. Um, 
I, I may have missed this over the grand scheme of things. Um, when we leave Stamford Bridge for, for, for our temporary home, will there have to be a CPO vote on letting Chelsea play away from Stamford Bridge and using the name Chelsea Football Club? Or can that just be decided at board level? It can be decided at board level. Okay. Okay. And um, just, just, to, just to clarify the last point, that um, the name Chelsea Football Club only returns to CPO if that permission is not requested. Right, okay. And not, not granted. Okay, and just, just another quick one that, that someone asked me to ask that to, to verify what the CPO actually own at Stamford Bridge. I mean, a lot of people think it's just the pitch, but I think it, it encompasses the, sta the, the stands as well and some parts of the ingress and egress areas or not so uh, basically um, it is the stadium as it stands right. um, not the footprint no no absolutely not the footprint um, I noticed on the agreement when they were talking about the owners this morning in this uh, wonderful document I've been looking at I think there are four titles on there for those of you who are familiar about obviously owning property you have registered land uh, your house is generally under one title so there are four titles that make up the land um, that uh, Chelsea Football Club own. And then there are other owners as well, because they're a CPO. That we are also flying over, uh, the, I say we, the, uh, the new stadium will fly over London Transport Land or, or British Rail Land or whatever it's called. So, you know, it's, it's, it's going over a number of different titles. Right. So in effect, the CPO own the, the, the stands and the pitch. Uh, we own the land upon which that is yeah. based, yeah. Yeah, okay, thank you. And can I just actually clarify, because you were talking about ground rent and that sort of thing, um, the rent is uh, is what's called a peppercorn rent, um, and that uh, that is literally what it is, that we have the right to charge one peppercorn per year as a rent. As I... If they tried to change it at the point that, say, for example, if they gave 999 years as a lease, as a lease extension, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. They don't give no, us no, no, no. A 999 saying, no, no, years. No, no, no. We own the land, yeah. and then we yeah. lease it out. Yeah. So if there is an increase in the in the lease, mm -hmm. then that is something that will be negotiated between Chelsea pitch yeah. owners and uh, Chelsea Football yeah. Club, and we will grant that. There is no appetite at the moment. At the moment, we have a lease. And that's that. Mm -hmm. I'm just wondering if, if, that, if that's an opportunity to, to use that concept in the same way that property companies have been using it to get, va to get, to get value that they can be used, to, for the example, for the benefit of supporters and things like that. I'm just not raising that as, and the CPO, yeah. I'm just raising that as a concept rather than having an answer. Right. The danger in what you're talking about is you're starting to introduce the concept of Chelsea Pitch Owners as a property company. It was never set up as a property company. It was never set up to try and develop the land and to gain, um, as I was talking about, um, you know, as a, as, a, as a property company. For if you were in charge of a property company, you'd be out to get the profit um, either from the income or from the capital redevelopment value. That's not what we were about. We were set up in order to, to make sure that Stamford Bridge remained the home of Chelsea Football Club. And that's why we've got this particularly unique arrangement. So it's quite dangerous to start, um, f you know, thinking about ideas of, of bringing in, um, with respect, smart property deals and that sort of thing. Um, but we're aware of this. 
and obviously that will form part, as I said to Clint, of what we actually go back to the club with when it comes to the renegotiation or the negotiations about the various uh, points of contact that we have with the club. Can uh, just before I get to back to you, Clint, is there anybody else who hasn't asked a question yet who would like to ask a question? As I say in the pantomimes behind you. Thank you. Um, Charles, just, just going back to something you mentioned earlier, it's just concerning me a little bit, is my understanding was that part of to protect when Uncle Ken set up, when his first idea came out about yep. setting up CPO, that if Chelsea moved away from Stamford Bridge, the name was owned by the CPO, but they would have to ask permission. I'm a little bit concerned that if Chelsea did move away, I mean, this is very hypothetical, I understand that, but you just said it would be a bold decision to allow them permission. So yep. so literally all, all of 20,000 CPO shareholders or however there are, it's the the board that would make that decision. Yep. So, so is that really a great protection against against the club moving away? That's Just four or five people can make that decision, not yeah. CPO members. No, I I I I understand your your worry about that, but you have to look upon it as the way that things happen. That you, as a shareholder, elect a board of directors to run the club on your on, to run the company on your behalf. Yeah, thank you. Well, actually, I'll take that one. I'll t I'll take that one on the nose because there is a worry. I think there is a worry in the club that we want more influence than we're actually due, and we're not trying to stand in the way of Chelsea Football Club redeveloping this ground. Far from it. But what you're talking about is is saying, okay, fine, we're facing a big decision. We actually need then to go back to the membership. If it is a fundamental. Um, point about the asset value of what we hold then I think that that might be that might be something that we would consider but ultimately you elect the board of directors and we then run the company and then you have the chance to go well you're doing a great job or you're doing a rubbish job and I'll vote you out next year um, Charles can I just um Obviously, we all know why the CPO was set up in dire straits with Marlow Estates, etc. We've come on a long way. The yep. stadium is now being redeveloped, yep. and now we are where we are, where we had a chairman or a board that uh, uh, just football club that wanted to buy the shares back. We managed to hold on to them. Now we've got the potential stadium. Once it's redeveloped, I ask the question, at this moment in time, the reason people purchase a CPO share is to fundamentally protect our club from moving from Stamford Bridge. Now, in a, a London that's being developed every area, every year, space isn't around anymore, as we all know. But are the CPO not going to find themselves in a situation in, say, five or six or seven years' time where we've achieved what we've achieved, we've ultimately, the new stadium has been built, and um, and then people will say, well, What's the point of CPO anymore? Job done, in other words. Yeah, so, so I ask, um, do the CPO have any further uh, plans? I was just listening to this chap here, you know, um, in not only being, not a, you know, one-trick pony is the wrong thing, but, you know, do we have any, like, um, thoughts about becoming more 
proactive within the club, like lots of German clubs have, their fan base have more of a say in a club. Because ultimately, once the stadium's built, it'll be very, very difficult for you, I feel, to then try and encourage people to buy CPO shares. Say, well, why? Are we going to knock down this brand new spanking place and, and there's nowhere to move to anyway, so it's not going to happen? The last 30 years for all of us have been aware of what could happen, but it's just a, a long-term question to you. Well, I actually... I, I buy shares because they like to have a, a thought of we own a little bit of Chelsea pitch owners or Chelsea Football Club if you like so I think in the future that that's that point would still be valid so I don't think it would and, and certainly from a from a Chelsea of course yeah right. I mean can I, certainly can from I, a can Chelsea I just, can I just take that and I, I actually refer back to what I said earlier that if we then extinguish the debt and we get our expenses covered, what is the purpose then of CPO? Would we actually have to get that lifeblood flow flowing through the company? Or is there something else that we can do? You know, should we be asking for having a bar that would actually give CPO shareholders not necessarily a purpose, but something that you can actually physically identify? Because I also have that worry. You know, we've made the arguments long and hard, particularly in Dave's magazine, about... Um, uh, uh, about it's not about today, it's about what happens the day after this ownership ceases. That's the, that's the crucial area. I mean, you know, you and I have been coming, uh, coming long enough, I've been coming a little longer than, uh, than you, but that's, uh, that's by the by. But, you know, we've all seen the transition that football's gone through, um, let alone in 40 or 50 years, but by God, in the last, in the last um, 10 to 15 years, we've seen the transition that our club has gone through, um, who knows what's going to happen in another 10 years' time or another 15 years' time? Who knows from what part of the world the ownership might spring? Who knows what the property prices in London are going to do? Who knows what the football um, economy is going to look like? Can we really sustain what we've got at the moment? All these are questions that none of us have the answers to. And what you're actually then um, talking about is what then happens to CPO. How then do we sell that? And yes, I have those fears as well. And yes, I think that we should be addressing them. But I think also that you and everybody else, not only in this room, but from outside, should be also saying, you know what? Why don't you try this? Why don't you try that? This is, what, this is the vision that we've got for you. Once this stadium is built, you know, because now actually is the time when we need to start talking about it, not when we come back. We need to start talking about it at the club right now. Uh, and I, I think that I'm, I think that's a very good uh, place to end it, actually, Charles, because we're pretty much at seven. And uh, I mean, I, I would love to carry on, as I'm sure you would, Charles. But uh, we've kind of hired this place out on the basis that we'll wrap up uh, here at seven because they ne they need to reset it for for dinner or something. So I, I no, we can't. Sorry, mate, we're, we're done. Um, can I can I formally thank Charles uh, for being so generous with his time and answering the questions as honestly and as thoughtfully as he possibly could. So thank you on behalf of Thank you. And, uh, last, lastly, but by no means least, thank you very much to you guys for coming along. It really is lovely to see so many of you here and uh, to get as engaged as you, as you obviously are. So thank you on my behalf to you. Thank you. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. 
perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. 